Hey Jude tonight. We're finishing Jude tonight. And uh, unless the Lord shows me otherwise, what I want to do is begin next week going through 2 Peter. And the reason is because 2 Peter and Jude are brother and sister. That is, they're very similar. Sometimes I could show you a few verses out of 2 Peter, you'd think it was Jude and vice versa. It's very fiery. It's, it's a lot of prophetic stuff in it. There is a lot of uh, end-time prophecy in it. And so, unless the Lord directs me otherwise, we're going to begin next week going through 2 Peter. How many of you like going through these books like this? Are you enjoying this? I'll tell you, you're going to know more about the Bible than a lot of churches, a lot of people in, in, in a lot of churches, because we're going through the whole thing verse by verse. And I would wager if you were testing on 1 John, you would pass a lot of things in 1 John just because we've been through it. And now Jude. And these are little letters I've never taught all the way through. I never taught Jude all the way through, never taught 1 John all the way through. And I've taught 1 Peter all the way through, but not 2 Peter. So uh, because it's so similar to Jude, that's where we're going. Lord willing, if the creek don't rise, as we said in East Texas, isn't that terrible? When I was living in East Texas, my sister visited us one day. My sister's real city. I've got three sisters, and one of them's real, well, two of them are real city, city-fied. So we were sitting in the house, and, and I said, Kathy, where's, where's the dog? And my sister went into shock, and she said, Jeffrey, did you just hear yourself? And I said, what? I said, where's the dog? She said, no, you said, where's the dog? She said, you better get out of here. Well, why did I share that? Where am I going with that? <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, tonight we're going we're gonna to finish Jude. And I would encourage you to read ahead in Second Peter because it is fiery. It is great. And I think I'm going to be able to dive into some end time prophecy. I don't know how much, but in light of the things happening in Israel right now, Hamas uh, uh, kidnapping that 19-year-old Israeli. The tensions are rising once again in Israel. And uh, folks, I'm telling you, it's a powder keg. And it's not a matter of if but when. It blows big time. And the Bible has a lot to say about it, particularly Ezekiel 38 and 39. Uh, That is a, a, a portion of Bible prophecy that has never been fulfilled in the history of the world You can't look back and say, well, that's already been fulfilled. Never. The players involved, um, uh, the the nations that God names that are going to be involved in uh, a united attack against Israel in the last days, it's all coming. I believe it will likely precede the rapture, and it could be the fuse to Armageddon, but I may branch off into that a little bit because it is an amazing thing to read the nations that God identifies as those that will be sympathetic uh, against Israel, sympathetic with one another against Israel. They're all lined up right now as we speak. They are all haters of Israel right now. But Ezekiel's prophecy came like 2,500 years ago. So, we may go there while we're in Second Peter, 
But uh, if you like it, I lo- you know I love teaching the Word. So if you want to keep going through these books, I'm going to do it. And if you don't want to, I'm still going to do it. <laughs> but do you really, are you enjoying going through these? All right. Because I love it. And, and, and I tell you, I, I don't understand uh, churches that don't teach on Wednesday nights. I don't get it. To me, I like this almost better than Sundays. I just love teaching the Word like this, being able to go into it. And so uh, we'll always do that as long as God gives us strength. So let's, let's stand together, and we're going to finish Jude tonight. So let's read verse 21 out loud together, and then we'll finish it up. You ready? Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Now, Father, we just thank you for your word. Speak it to our hearts. Minister your life to us. Minister your word to us. Feed us, nourish us, strengthen us so that we can stand strong in this backslidden and apostate generation. Help us to stay true to the word and true to the faith once delivered to the saints. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Now remember, Jude opened up exhorting you and me to earnestly contend for the faith once delivered to the saints. Now, that's how he opened up this beautiful little letter. He said, earnestly, I have written to you that you would earnestly fight for, stand for, commit to, defend the faith. Not any faith, but the faith. There's only one true faith. And I'm not talking about a denomination either. I'm talking about the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and His blood and His resurrection and His soon return. It's the faith. There there are a lot of things that people put their faith in. But you know what, folks? The Bible talks about a false hope. You know, hope is good as long as what you've got your hope in is real. But hope is not good. If you've got your hope set on something that is not valid, because then you're going to experience deferred hope, which the Bible says makes the heart sick. So there is one hope that will never disappoint you, and that is the faith once delivered to the saints. I guarantee you, put your faith in Jesus, and that hope will never disappoint you. Paul talked about the hope that doesn't disappoint. So that's what we're looking at. We are learning to earnestly contend for the faith once delivered to the saints. Now, here we go. He's talking now about keeping ourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. I want you to notice who is the responsibility on when it comes to keeping yourself in the love of God? Say, that be me. See, it's not your mama, it's not your daddy, it's not your grandma. The light went out. Yep. Old faithful. (laughs) Well, I'm glad I wasn't looking at those notes anyway. All right. So now, look right at me here. Here's the deal. What was I saying? No, that's terrible. Is that the last one that we've got? Okay. See how I get thrown by these things? Isn't that terrible? The de- get off of this thing, devil, in the name of Jesus. 
Yeah. Is that the only projector we've got? Good. All right. That's all right. Everybody say, thank God we've got two of them. All right. So while they're doing all this, there we go. Let there be light. Now my producer is going to have some things to edit out. There we go. All right, so who's the responsibility on when it comes to keeping ourselves in the love of God? It's ours. See, it says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. There is a responsibility. You know, when Jesus gave the parable of the ten virgins, five had oil in their lamps and five did not. Well, did they get away with blaming anybody else, the five who did not? No. They had to run and find, try to find in the parable, they had to look for quickly what they should have already had, oil in their lamps. See, you're the keeper of your flame. You're the keeper, not me. Now, I'll stoke it. I'll fan it. I'll build you up in the faith. I'll minister the word to you. But when you got saved, your spirit got lit. And you're the keeper of your flame. You know, if it dwindles, if it, if it, if it, flickers, if it goes down, if it fades, that's up to you to, to get it burning again. That's why Paul said to Timothy, fan or uh, fan into flame the gift of God that is in you. You fan it. You stoke the fire. You stay in the Word. You keep yourself in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. So, It's up to us. Now, the word keep means to attend carefully, take care of, to guard, or to take watchful care. Jude is exhorting us to keep ourselves in the sphere of God's love, surrounded by it, walking in it, staying within the circle of His love. As believers, we can get out of the love of God. We we can walk away from the love of God. Sin will quench the flame. Busyness can quench the flame. Being preoccupied with yourself can quench the flame. It is something we need to learn to do as believers when it comes to keeping the fire burning in our own spirits. How many of you can say, there's been many times since I was saved that that flame began to flicker and I had to do something about it? Amen. And I can tell you that much of what the enemy sends against you and me is to quench the zeal, the first love that we knew when we were first born again. Because one thing Satan fears, he doesn't fear you and he doesn't fear me, but he does fear lively, living, pulsating faith in us. And so, and and he fears zeal in God's people. Because if you're full of zeal and full of the the fire of, of God's Holy Ghost, then you become a danger or God in you becomes a danger to the enemy. So much of what he does is to try to throw water on the flame that is within us. That's much of what he does. So the saints are exhorted to so build themselves up on their Christian foundation 
and so pray in the power of the Holy Spirit that they, as a result, keep themselves in the place where God is able to shower all of his love upon them. They are to live in such a way that they keep themselves in the place of blessing. Now, I want to be clear. Jude is not telling us that God ever stops loving us, but that we, through sin in our lives, can make it impossible for the fullness of God's blessing to be granted to us. He's not saying, keep yourselves in the love of God because God's love might fade for you. No. You know, God's love is like the shining sun. It never stops shining. Clouds may pass over it, but the sun never stops shining. We may go through trials where it seems like we can't sense God's presence, can't sense his love, can't sense his uh, voice speaking to us, but the sun, S-O-N, ever shines. And the clouds always pass and go, and go away, but the sun never goes away. So thank God for the blessing of God and that he's not telling us that God's love for us is going to go away, but that we can position ourselves in our lifestyles so that he cannot bless us like he wants to. And I'm telling you, folks, I'm convinced God wants to bless us more than we want to be blessed. How many of you in here are, are grandparents? Okay. Now I'm going to ask you grandparents something. How many of you readily confess that you are going to spoil rotten your grandkids. I mean, and, and, and where does that come from? Where does that come from? That comes from something that God puts within you. There you are, you're a grandparent, you've got flaws and faults and all kinds of things, and yet you've got this desire to bless your grandchildren. Parents are the same way. The difference between grandparents and parents is the grandparents can have a great time with the kids and then say goodbye. The parents, they're always there. But now, see, God, Jesus said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good things? I love that one. Luke says the Holy Ghost, but Matthew says good things. I like that because that's an open-ended check. That means it can be anything that God wants to do. That just gives you a thousand possibilities. But if you being evil have this incredible desire to bless your children and your grandchildren, how much more, Jesus said, how much more does your heavenly father want to bless you with good things? So we don't need to question God's willingness. But here's what we need to look at. He's willing, but am I positioned for blessing? Am I living in a way that God can really bless me? Because here's what I've learned about God. God's very, very wise. And God knows this. If I bless you while you're living wrong, then you're going to misinterpret my blessing to mean I agree with what you're doing. And I think what you're doing is right, and that's why I'm blessing you. So what God does with you and me as his children, if we begin to get off, really off, he chastens us so that we will not be a partaker of the judgment that's coming on the world. He chastens us. He takes us to his divine woodshed, and it ain't no fun. Mm -mm. God can give you a whooping you will never forget. Why does he do it? so that we'll get back into a righteous lifestyle. 
Because when we're in a righteous lifestyle, then he can bless us because then we, we identify the blessing as being related to the way we're living. In other words, he's blessing our living the way he told us to. So what, what Jude is telling us is that God wants to bless us. His love never diminishes. His love never changes. But we've got to be sure that we're keeping ourselves in the love of God by obeying his word so that he can really bless us. You know, what it really comes down to so much, folks, is just obeying God. Just obeying God. You know, good works don't save you, but good works testify that you are saved. And, I've, you know, it, so much of this just comes down to, when I look at the children of Israel, here they are, God has delivered them from Egypt, delivered them from slavery, taken them out of a hellacious life, shown his hand over and over again, gets them into the wilderness, and all he really needed from them was two things, trust and obedience. Trust and obedience. That's all. And it boggles my mind that 40 years, they're still going around the same mountain. I mean, there had to be, there had to be a rut 10 feet deep around that mountain of disobedience and lack of trust. Because that was the problem. They didn't trust him. They said, he's brought us out of Egypt to kill us here in the wilderness. Oh, my soul and body. What a terrible, terrible thing to say about God. I mean, yeah, yeah. I sent 10 plagues on Egypt. I slaughtered the firstborn to show my power. I drowned your army in the sea just so I could get you out here and kill you. <laughs> it's bizarre what they were saying in the wilderness. <laughs> you know, picture God up there like snidely whiplash, twisting his mustache. What they said about God was terrible. But see, that came from a lack of trust. They did not trust his intentions towards them. And they didn't trust his character. Do you know what kind of a monster God it would have been to deliver them from Egypt, just to take them out there and play with them like a cat with a mouse, just to kill them? But that's what they said about him. To his face. No wonder Moses was always saying, Hold on, God. Now, I understand you want to vaporize them. Hold on. Don't do it. Just trust. And then just obedience. Just simple obedience. You know, griping about the manna. Griping about water coming out of a rock. I don't know about you, but if I was thirsty and God made water shoot out of a rock for me to drink, I'd be on my face praising God. But they griped about that. Just trust and obedience. Trust and obedience. All that God really wants us to do, ladies and gentlemen, is trust Him. And if you trust Him, you'll obey Him. Isn't that amazing? It's not complicated. If you trust Him, then you trust what He tells you to do and you'll obey Him. So, only through sin in our lives can we make it impossible for the fullness of God's blessings to be granted to us. How many of you know that life is short, so I really want to be blessed? How about you? Can you say that? Life is short, so I'd like to be blessed. If I'm going to be a Christian, I'm going to be a real one. I'm not going to spin my wheels, waste my time, play church. 
I'm going to walk with the living God and I'm going to do what he's called me to do. Now, how do you keep yourself in the sphere or the circle of the love of God? Well, read the first one with me, can you? Keep your life clean of sin. Keep your life clean of sin. That's the first thing. Nothing plugs the pipes like sin. Nothing cuts you off from what God wants to do in your life like sin. So keep your life clean of sin. Simple enough? Now, next, if you sin... Keep short accounts with God. Repent. Get it under the blood. And move on in a life of obedience. If you sin, keep a short account. Don't sit on that sin for a week. Don't let the sun go down before you've repented. I mean, the hour you sin, repent. Get it out of the way quickly. Because sin is so damaging. So damaging. The longer you let it sit there, the longer it's going to dull your conscience. The longer you let it sit there, the more adapted to it you're going to become. Just get it out of the way quick. Because you haven't lost your salvation, but you have broken fellowship as long as you're in unconfessed sin. So just get it out of the way. Say, well, I just hate to admit I messed up again. Well, God's not up there saying, can you believe he messed up again? He knew you were going to do it before you did it. Can you believe she said that again? He knew you were going to say it before you said it. God's never, you know what I always say, God never says oops and he never says, well, I'll be. Never. Okay, then build yourself up in the faith. Isn't that what he told us last week? We looked at the verse, building yourselves up in your most holy faith. Build yourself up in the faith by adding to your Christian foundation. And what is the Christian foundation? What is the foundation laid in all of our lives? Not the word, unless you're capitalizing it, but that's, that's a good guess. What did I say last week was the foundation? No other foundation can be laid than that which is laid, which is... Let's see, sounds like... Jesus! He's the foundation. No other foundation can be laid than that which is already laid, which is Jesus Christ. So when you got saved, it's just like building a house. The foundation that was poured was Jesus. Jesus. Okay? So then we talked last week about building on that foundation. Remember? Out of 1 Corinthians 3. And Paul said you can either build with gold, silver, and precious stones, or wood, hay, and stubble. Well, y'all are making me nervous. I think you were here last week. Okay? So what did I say that the, the, the gold, silver, and precious stones were? I really do believe he's talking about sound teaching and a, the lifestyle that sound teaching produces. That's what I think it is. Gold, silver, and precious stones. The gold, here, I just went ahead and used the metaphor, the gold of the Old Testament, the silver of Christ in the New Testament, and the precious stones of the knowledge of how to walk daily in Jesus Christ. If you build on the foundation, I mean, folks, you ought to understand, and we're going to understand, as believers, we ought to be growing in the Word, 
Now look at me for a minute. Don't look at the notes up here. Just look at me for a second. We ought to be growing in the Word. We ought, we ought to be able to understand. We ought to have a grasp of the basic theme of the Old Testament. We ought to understand what God was saying through the Old Testament. We ought to have a little knowledge about all the books at least. I think that might be the goal. Silver, the New Testament, all the doctrines concerning Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the blood, the resurrection, we ought to have that firmly in our spirits. And then every day when we read these verses, to me, these verses are the precious stones. And I read these verses and, and I, you know, I read the Bible and, you know, today I was reading the Bible and some things jumped out at me. Every time one of these verses ministers to me, that's a precious stone. Paul said, you can either build on the foundation of your Christian faith, who is Jesus. You can either build on your salvation, gold, silver, and precious stones, or you can build on it wood, hay, and stubble. And remember last week we talked about there is going to come a day of testing when we go to the judgment seat of Christ and what we have built, what you have built on your foundation and I have built on my foundation is going to be judged by fire. And if it was, if it was gold, silver, and precious stones, it survives and we get a reward. But if it's wood, hay, and stubble, well, I lived worldly, talked worldly, didn't do much with my life for the glory of God. Just got saved by the skin of my chinny chin chin. And, you know, I believe in him. I got fire insurance when I got saved. But then I didn't really live much for God and pursued my own interests and didn't really seek him out. You know what's going to happen on the day, judgment seat of Christ? Your works are going to be burned up. But you will be saved. But barely. And you're going to lose a reward. Say amen or oh me. Now looking means to expect or to wait for. Looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, Jude said. That means to expect or to wait for. This is a clear reference to the act of looking for the appearance of Christ at the rapture of the church. So here we got a real good picture of the Christian. The Christian is building on his Christian foundation. He's building on Jesus in his life. He's building with precious stones and gold and silver, and his eyes focused on the return of Christ. And, that, and that's a picture of the Christian that Jude saw. Amen? So let's read it, the translation. Can we out loud? But as for you, divinely loved ones, building yourselves up constantly in the sphere of and by means of your most holy faith and as constantly praying in the sphere of and by means of the Holy Spirit with watchful care keep yourselves within the sphere of God's love expectantly looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ resulting in life eternal. Can you give the Lord a hand of praise? Amen. So I want you to say with me, I got a foundation. And just picture it. And right in the middle, there's a name written. And what is that name? I mean, the finger of God, let's just say that he wrote it in the cement of the foundation that's in your life. Jesus. And it hardened that way. Jesus is the foundation that's been laid in your life. Now, what are you building on it? What are you building on that foundation? Because two by fours are going up. Some steel's going up. A house is going to be built. 
and you are the builder. All right. Let's read this verse, these next two verses together, can we? Because this one's, I've always wondered about these. Let's read them. And on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, even hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. What is that talking about? Now, these passages are a bit difficult to understand. So I chose another translation that I think is a better one. And so let's read this one, can we? And refute so as to convict some who dispute with you, and on some have mercy who waver in doubt. Strive to save others, snatching them out of the fire. On others take pity, but with fear, loathing even the garments spotted by the flesh and polluted by their sensuality. Now first, Jude presents people. Now there's, there's different, here, here's what this, these verses are talking about. Different kinds of people that you're trying to reach for Jesus Christ. And this verse could be called different strokes for different folks. Okay? We're dealing with different human beings here in witnessing to them. So here's the first one he shows us dealing with. First, Jude presents people who are doubting the faith and as a result are disputing with you. They're full of doubt, and they're disputing with you. They're arguing with you because they have doubts about the faith. So these people are tossed in their minds about whether or not Jesus Christ is real and is the valid faith for them, okay? And so Jude says we are to mercifully and compassionately debate with them in hopes of convicting and turning them around reason with them in love, try to answer their honest doubts. Now, I think, I think there's different kinds of people we can talk to. I think there's honest doubters, and I think there's phony doubters. Now, I'm going to tell you something that I've come to believe about God. If you are an honest doubter, God will honestly answer you. If you're truthfully hung up on something about the faith, and you want an answer, my God will answer you. Now, here's what he's saying. There are times it's of God to debate with somebody. If they're an honest doubter and they've got honest questions, then you as a believer can honestly enter into a spirit-blessed debate with them to bring them over into a salvation experience through Jesus Christ. He says, don't do it obnoxiously. Don't be a know-it-all, but mercifully and compassionately talk to them. Now, I've had millions of, uh, I mean, uh, tons of experiences like this. I was raised in a, a, a very um, well-read family and, and uh, sort of intellectually prone family. And so I got tough questions the minute that I was saved. I mean, the real McCoy really mess you up when you're young in the faith questions. And I had to dig deep. And I've learned that when you're debating with someone, you always, always remember, speak the truth in love. Don't speak the truth in anger. Don't speak the truth uh, uh, like a know-it-all, but speak the truth in love. And this is what Jude is actually telling us to do. Those who are tossed with doubt, answer them. Sit down with them. Talk to them. Because you may bring them to Jesus Christ. You may do it. Don't just get upset, walk away. You know, sit there and be patient with somebody and, and talk to them. Not too awfully long ago, I uh, was uh, in a restaurant 
and I found myself um, in a conversation with three college students from University of North Texas. And I just started talking to them. I forget how the conversation opened, but, but I told them I was a Christian. And, man, they started firing the, the questions at me. And we sat there, I would say, almost, around three hours, a long time. And they fired all this stuff at me. And I said, you know, I noticed something. They had some honest questions. You know, they, you hear so many things in our day about Jesus, about Christianity. And there's just another faith and, you know, pick your faith and pick your God. It doesn't really matter. And a lot of people are extremely confused about what Jesus actually said or didn't say. So a lot of the time, what you'll find yourself doing is just clarifying what Jesus really said about something. And I've found that if you'll tell people verses like this one, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody will get to the Father but through me. So salvation is exclusive, and people need to know that. Our culture is lying about the Christian faith every day to people. So Jude says, when you find an honest doubter, and there may be one in your family, maybe one at work, but if you find an honest doubter, enter into a spirit-led debate. And the same Jesus who met people and confronted them and debated with them and spoke the truth to them is in you. And he will help you to speak to others. So we ought to have, and Peter said, you ought to always be ready with an answer when people ask you a reason for the hope that is in you. Be ready. Prepare yourself. I hope I'm helping you do that in these classes as we go through these books because we need to know why we believe, what we believe, and we need to understand what we believe. And if you're familiar with anything, familiarize yourself with the red ink. At least know for sure what Jesus said. Okay? Now, he moves on to the next person. Second, Jude presents people living in sin without shame. These are to be dealt with in holy severity, with tough love, with stronger words and actions. This class of people is in great danger if they continue in their sin, and because of the deceitfulness of sin, they don't know it. So Jude, with this second person, is not talking about debate. Okay? Notice he says, some have mercy who waver in doubt. Have mercy on them. But others, it's like you're snatching them out of a burning house. They're on, they're on fire through sin. And so Jude says, if you've got somebody who is living in sin and they don't even see their danger, please understand, church, if somebody has given themselves over to sin, they are in grave danger. Jude says it's like a burning house. And, you know, I picture the, these firemen here. Frank Alfredo is a fireman, and he has seen this many times. But, you know, these firemen will come up on a burning house, and, and sometimes the only thing you can do is run in there and grab somebody and pull them out and, at, at your own risk. And there are times that we confront and encounter people who are living in sin on a level that they're in a burning house. They're going to be destroyed. They're going to be destroyed like a fire would destroy a body. They're going to be destroyed. I don't know if you've ever encountered this, but 
I tell you, there have been times I've known people where I just had to go in and say, hey, what are you doing? What do you mean, man? You're living in sin. You're going to die. I know that sounds melodramatic, but let's just be as melodramatic as the word is. Jude says, snatching them out of a burning house. And so these people don't respond to, to love. They respond to fear. Probably in this group here tonight, some of you got saved because you knew God loved you. Others of you got saved because you were afraid of hell. There's a new book out now called Hell Yes. It's a Christian book. Hell Yes. Hell, comma, yes. And I'm so glad that somebody wrote a book on it. Because you know what? Is hell real? Hell, comma, yes. So there are some people you debate with them in love. Hey, come on now. I'm going to sit here and be patient with you because you're an honest seeker. And so I'm going to give you some honest answers. There's other people. They're sliding into hell. They're sliding into destruction as fast as they can go. So you realize they're not responding to love. They're reprobate. So you get strong and you say, you're going to die. You're going to perish. In your sin, you are going to die. If you don't repent soon, I see it all over you. Ichabod is on on the wall. Ichabod is over the door of your life. You're going to die. I had a friend, I told you about him Sunday, I think, who uh, I knew from the time that I was 12 years old. We were best friends. I can remember me and him going on vacation with his parents. His daddy was an alcoholic. His mother was beaten into submission, uh, verbally, really. Um, We went on vacation. The dad, big old thing of beer in the front seat. He's throwing that beer back all the way to where we were going. Uh, I was terrified. He was passing in no passing lanes, going over hills, yelling at everybody in the car. And I can remember my friend, when we finally got to the hotel, the dad had been screaming at the mother and she was just sitting there taking it. And my friend got out. He just yelled out at the sky and at anybody listening, why can't we be happy? And I saw the dysfunction and the sin of that dad go on to him. And he became an alcoholic. When I got saved, I was 18 or 16 when I got saved, 18 when I got spirit-filled and gave my life to the ministry. And when I went and told this guy about it, he had a joint in his hand, and he took a puff of it and blew it in my face and said, you'll be back, Jeff. I said, let's say, Bill, Bill, you don't understand. Jesus is real. He said, yeah, yeah, and he went off. I came totally off of everything, all the old friends, everything, and started walking with God and went into the ministry. He never came off. About six years ago, I got a call from his ex-wife, who I also know when I was like 12, 13 years old, and she told me where he was, and he was in a hotel, a little flea bag hotel, and had said he was going to commit suicide to her. I hadn't seen him in over 20 years. I hadn't seen him since this. So I went knocking on the door, 
I've been walking with God all these years, had a family, a future, and he opened the door. I didn't even recognize him. Smoke came pouring out the door, suicide concoction on his bedside. He said, I don't have any more hope. I've lost everything. I can't come off of drugs. I'm hooked. And, and I knew that I was to talk to him this way. You're going to die. You better repent. Last year, I buried him. Spoke the message at his funeral. I was the one that got to tell his daughter that he was dead. What killed him? He, he was in a home I'd put him in, a halfway house in Fort Worth. And he had found his way to the druggies on the street, and he was smoking crack cocaine, and he died. But I had told him, I'm trying to pull you out of a house on fire. And though he did ask Jesus to come into his heart, let me tell you something, folks. The devil plays hardball. He plays hardball. You think you're going to go dabble with something. Never dabble with a substance. Never dabble with drugs. Never. Why do you need to do that? We've got the Holy Ghost. Why do you need to dabble with drugs? Don't even go near it. If some fool, if some idiot tells you you need to experience it, tell him that he's an idiot because that's crazy. Never dabble with a substance because I've seen people, it's like a Venus flycatcher. That thing, those flies land on that. And if you look on the inside, there's three little hair-like triggers. If you trick one of them, it won't close. But when that fly goes in and dabbles just twice, one of those little hair-like triggers are touched twice. Down it goes. And the more he struggles, the tighter it gets. And I believe God gave us the Venus flycatcher to teach us about drugs. Because you say, I'm just going to dabble. But boy, I mean, just, just dabbling. Down it comes. You don't need to do that. Don't touch drugs. You've got the Holy Ghost. Don't ever go to drugs. So I'm only sharing that very sad story to tell you. Sometimes you get into something the devil leads you into, and it's bigger than you. And you go longer than you thought you would, and you do more than you thought you ever would. Because it's a lure. It's a trap. So let's just finish this now. Everybody say amen. Paul wrote, knowing the terrors of the Lord, we persuade men. This group of people hasn't responded to God's love or to reasonable debate, so they must be saved by fear. Love turns some to God while others are turned by fear. One commentator wrote, the merriment of a sinner is madness. The fire of judgment is burning under his feet, and he knows it not. Jude's final warning is to the rescuer. On others, take pity, but with fear. Now, this is talking about you, the rescuer. He says, on others, take pity, but with fear for yourself, loathing even the garments spotted by the flesh and polluted by their sensuality. Here's what he's saying. We who attempt to restore a brother or sister should be careful lest we too be trapped in the sin that entangles them. Because you go to rescue somebody and they go to telling you what it's like, what they're doing. And if you're not careful, just, I've learned, stop people. Say, I don't need to hear that. I don't need to hear that. I don't need to hear details about your sin. Just give me a general idea. 
Well, I'm in drugs. That's all I need to hear. I don't need to, I don't want you to tell me what cocaine feels like. I don't want to know what crack cocaine, uh, uh, what it does to you. I don't want to know what speed feels like. I don't want to hear it. Just give me the generalities and we'll deal with your sin. Because if they sit and embellish it and talk about it, you may get lured into the very thing that they're trapped in. That's what he's saying. Brothers, if someone Paul wrote to the Galatians, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. What does the last part say, everybody? But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Amen. Well, we're headed to the close. Now we come to Jude's famous doxology or benediction. Before we read it, here's what Jude is saying. I want to kind of give you a capsulization of this doxology before we read it here at the end. Here's what Jude is saying. I have bidden you to keep yourselves in the love of God. I have warned you against all impurity and godless living. But do not think that you can attain to all this in your own strength. You must receive power from above. And that it may be so, I offer up my prayer to him who alone is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before the throne of his glory, pure and spotless in exceeding joy. Jude is saying, everything I've told you to do, you can't do any of it without him. All right, so let's read verse 24, can we? Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. The phrase from stumbling means to stumble, to sin, or to make a mistake. To the people of Jude's day, the Greek word meant sure-footed as a horse that does not stumble. Hence, a good, stable man. Jesus Christ is able to keep you from making mistakes, from stumbling. This is what Jesus Christ is able to do with you and me. As we look to him and depend on him for our Christian walk, he is able to make us as sure-footed as a horse that does not stumble. David the psalmist said, He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to stand on the heights. Can we stand together and read this final translation? And we're done with Jude. Let's read it together. Are you ready? Now to the one who is able to guard you from stumbling and to place you before the presence of his glory, faultless in great rejoicing, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, might, and authority before all time, both now and forever. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand of praise, can we? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Now, Lord, we thank you for your word, and we turn to you as Jude said. Lord, keep us from stumbling. We know that we can only walk this walk as you infuse inner strength into us, as your spirit guides us, as your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We give to you the weaknesses that we encounter within ourselves every day. Keep us from stumbling, Lord. We give to you, Lord, the sin that surrounds us in this culture. Keep us from stumbling, Lord. We give to you this seductive generation, this seductive age, and we ask you to protect us and keep us from stumbling, Lord, and present us before God on that great day 
having gold, silver, and precious stones built on the foundation, who is Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for helping us as we pursue you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.